Amen. Well, good morning, church. We are starting a new book today. We are going to start the book of Titus. So if you turn to Titus right after 2 Timothy, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you a Bible. Anybody need a Bible? Right here, right there. Keep your hand up so they can get to you. Titus chapter 1. I'm excited. So if you're visiting, we want to welcome you. Uh, we go through the Bible here, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so uh, we've just now got into the book of Titus. Short little epistle. We'll probably get through it within the month. And pretty excited about the theme this month of commitment. And, um, you know, when I think about commitment, I think about Romans 12.1 where Paul begs us. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. For everything that God has done for us, it's only reasonable that we should give back in appreciation. Amen? And we do that through our serving God. We do that through our giving. We do that through answering our call. That there's a lot of Christians out there that haven't answered their call. And God has something for each and every one of us. And like I've been sharing the last couple of weeks, we all have at least three ministries. And one's the family. The other one is our ministry in the church. And then our ministry out in the community, getting the gospel out for Jesus Christ. And it's so important. And so with that commitment, as we go through the Bible, we learn all the desires that God has for us through His Word. When I hear people say to me, I want more faith, well, the Bible tells me, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So if you want to strengthen your faith and you want to know what your call is and you want to know what God wants for you and wants you to do and wants you not to do, you got to read the Bible. you got to get into the Word. If you're only getting into the Word once on Sundays, that's not enough. We need Jesus every day. He's our daily bread. Uh, I encourage you, don't even get out of bed without talking to our King, our Master, our Lord, our Savior, because He's the one and the only one that can give us the strength for that day. And we need to be moving in His power and not in our own power. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us up afresh, to get us ready for a day, because we just don't know what's going to happen that day. And many times we make plans, but... Uh, God allows those plans to be messed up. And sometimes it's for the good, and sometimes it seems like it's for the bad, but then He works all things to, for good to those who are called according to His purpose. And so we know that even through the trials, God shows us things. We grow in the grace and knowledge of Him. And so I entitle this message, God Can't Lie. And the, the importance of understanding that, so when you read the Word of God, you know it is truth. You may not agree with it. You may have your own views on what you want to do, but the Word of God is truth. And this Bible records all the good, all the bad, and all the ugly. It's got everything down there. It has everything that you need to equip you for the life and the service that God's called you to. It's got everything you need to tell you what is wrong or right. It has everything that you need to get you to the finish line before you meet our Maker. And what a day that'll be. Amen. And so as we look at the book of Titus, we see that it's very similar to 1 Timothy with instructions uh, for uh, those in church, how that we should act, what elders should be like, deacons, how pastors should act, how we should treat one another. So it's a very good 
instructional letter. It's a short little book. But today we're only going to get through four verses because there's so much there in those first four verses. And so let's begin by reading Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Father, we thank you uh, for this scripture. And Lord, we pray that you would, by the Holy Spirit, Fill us afresh to have a complete understanding today of your desires for us and what you would have us to do. And so, Lord, we pray that you would reach the hearts of everyone here today. Stir us up. Stir us up unto good works, Lord God. We know that we're saved by faith, but our works prove that we've been transformed with a saving faith. And so, Lord God, bless this time we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Great portion of Scripture. I was going to try to knock out the whole chapter, but I just saw so much there in that first three verses. And the fourth verse is pretty much the greeting to Titus. And I thought it was interesting that Paul considered Titus like he considered Timothy his son in the faith, leading them both to the Lord and instructing them and growing them up in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and them serving alongside him and being used by God. And so as we look at this passage, and I entitled it, God Can't Lie, um, I just told you something God can't do. Because a lot of times people say, well, can God do anything? Well, I'll tell you what he can't do. He can't lie. God cannot sin. God cannot make you love him. He will not mess with your free will. It's something that he has chosen to do because he wants you to love him because you love him. God will not force you to love him. To be forced to love would be, in a sense, like rape. And the only way to have true love is to provide choices. And so when sometimes people say, well, why is there so much evil in the world? And, and you know, if God is love, why does he love? We have so much evil in the world because we live in a fallen world. And in order for you to have free will, you've got to have choices. I'm either going to live for God or I'm going to live for the world. There's only two kingdoms, dark and light. Which one are you in? God says if you're not for Jesus, you're against Him. He says if you're not a lover of God, you're the enemy of God. We were all enemies before we came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some things that we can do that God can't. That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? And I think some of you have already guessed the first one is, we can lie, and he can't. Another thing I think, too, is when we look around the room, 
we can see our equal. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all a work in project. And so as we look around, we can see our equals. Folks just like us, living in this world, uh, having some struggles, wrestling with sin, growing, not what we should be, not what we used to be, but growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Um, God can't see His equal. God is so... I can't even describe how, how far He stands out from anything else. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, God's number one on a list of ten. Uh, no, all these other gods are false gods. God is number one all by Himself. There is nobody even in the race. He is number one. No one comes close. He is God and we are not. So I want to ask you today, have you made God your Savior? Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. He died for your sins on the cross so that you might have eternal life. But He won't force you to love Him. You have to ask Him into your heart and recognize that what He did for you was He paid a debt that you could never pay. And He provided a way out for you to come to Him and say, Lord, I, I believe You died on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I've sinned against You. I believe You rose from the dead and I'm asking You now to save me. That's how simple it is. But it has to be done with a true heart. You can't get to heaven by works. Your works are a reflection of your love for Jesus Christ. Now, as a believer, sometimes I ask people, how do you know you're going to heaven? And they'll say to me, I, I just feel it. And they base their faith on feelings. We don't base our faith on feelings. Because sometimes I don't feel so saved. Can anybody relate to me? Do you ever have a bad day? You don't really feel so much like the child of God. You, you blew it. You did something. Uh, you, you, you were stuck in a situation. You got yourself in a horrific situation. And you're like, how did I ever get here? And you don't feel so saved. Well, I'm, I'm glad that salvation isn't based on feelings. Salvation is based on the Word of God. And if you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're His, and the Holy Spirit's job is to make sure you get to the finish line. You're a child of God, and the evidence that you're a child of God is a transformed life, and you start living for Jesus, and you start putting that old sin away, and you start growing and getting better and better and better. Amen. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word. The Word of God is Holy Spirit breathed. The Holy Spirit got a hold of the hands of 40 authors, wrote 66 books over centuries, and it's the Word of God, and it's absolutely true, and God cannot lie. So that means we can trust the Word of God. You know, people come up with all kinds of questions, and i got to tell them all the time, it's right in here. Read your Bible. You don't need to ask me, but read the Bible. I'll be glad to help you navigate through the Scriptures. But everything that we need to know is right here. This is the manual for life. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no new thing. It's all right here, and God has the answers for us. 
So what that means is that we can trust the Word of God to tell us what to do, what not to do, and how to have a successful walk. But we need to know the Word of God. I'll tell you what, I know it's, it's, some of you don't like reading. I, I hated reading. I, 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 but I've got to be honest, the book I've read the most is the Bible. And, and a lot of times people give me books. All, I've got a library, a stacked library, that I've got books I've never even read. And I'm going to get to them one day, but I, I just think I'm not reading this enough. Because I know the more I read this, the more I'll be able to rest in Him during all situations. And that's what's really important, is have that peace that passes all understanding. You won't have that peace if you don't know the Word of God. This, this Bible comforts me. The B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. This, it's all right here. The answers are right here. Read your Bible. Now, before we get to verses 1 through 3, I really want to f- focus on verse 4 first because it's sort of the introduction. It says, To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we see the common greeting Uh, Paul calls Titus his son in the faith. We see that he calls Timothy his son in the faith. These are two young men that were tutored by Paul. He had a love. They were just like family to him. They were important to him. And they were two pastors that needed some instruction. Now when we we look at Titus, Titus was a, a strong, confident young man, a little different from Timothy. Timothy was sort of timid. He was kind of sickly. He needed encouragement. Titus was more of a guy that could just get in there and get things done. And and so Paul speaks to him a little differently than he spoke to Timothy, but these were both uh, Paul's sons in the faith, great men of God. And it says that um, though Titus is never mentioned in the book of Acts because that's when Titus came on the scene doing ministry with Paul. We won't ever find his name mentioned in the book of Acts, but no doubt he took part in Paul and Barnabas' ministries, and we hear about him in a couple different places in the Bible. In Galatians 2.1, it says, Paul speaking, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So what we had here was a situation, Paul's telling the Galatians, that he went up with Barnabas and Titus to Jerusalem to fight against this legalism that had come into the church that you were saved by faith and keeping the law. Well, that's not the Bible. That's not what the Word of God says. You're saved by faith, period. It's not by your works. And there was those folks who were trying to bring people back under the law. They were trying to bring them back under circumcision. And so Paul took Titus with him and and had him stand there as a Gentile and say, listen, why are we putting, Peter would stand up and say, why are we putting a yoke of bondage around these Gentiles that we couldn't even keep ourselves? 
Why are we trying to bring people back under the law? That we can't do that. Now, you've got to ask yourself, if, if Paul was determined to make a statement by bringing Titus, who wasn't circumcised, that we're not saved by works, we're not saved by the law, we're not saved by circumcision, then you've got to ask yourselves, why did he allow Timothy to be circumcised? Good question. Easy answer. The reason is Timothy's mom and grandmother were Jewish. And your faith was determined through the mother. And so to the local Jews in the area where Timothy lived, they knew that his mom and his grandma were a Jew, though his dad was a Greek, a Gentile, that Paul knew that it would be easier for him and Timothy to navigate through the Jewish communities if they all knew that Timothy was circumcised. Does that make sense? I don't know how they do that. I don't know if there was like circumcision check at the door or, or how that worked. But, um, you know, they all knew that he was a Jew and they would expect that. Now, this would go to what Paul would say to us. Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might win some. And so the reason he had Timothy circumcised is because he, he knew if the Jews knew Timothy was circumcised, acting as a good Jew, it would give him a better opportunity to share the gospel and have him become Christians. But with Titus, Titus's parents were both Gentile. There was no need. So Paul's making a statement. He had a, Titus had a Gentile father, a Gentile mother, no need for circumcision, and he stood up against it and they won it. And so by what's said here in Galatians chapter 2 would show that Titus was with Paul in Acts 15, though his name is never mentioned. We also see Titus mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, where Paul encourages the Corinthians to, uh, to receive Titus graciously because of Paul, and they do. And, and, he, and Titus was really blessed by the Corinthians, and the Corinthians were really blessed by Titus. And Titus was also one who was collecting that offering for the suffering church in Jerusalem during the Great Famine, and he was to help bring that, which would put him in Acts 19 and 20, and I think he was probably in some other areas in the book of Acts. Titus seemed to be a stronger, more confident uh, young man than Timothy. But you know what? All we got to do is submit ourselves unto God and God can use you greatly no matter who you are. And so in verse one, or actually in verse four, I, I want to cover this real quick, the greeting, because it's a little different from Paul's usual greeting. He says, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, typically, Paul would always say, if you look at all his letters, it says grace and peace. And he put his name at the beginning because it's a scroll. We sign our names at the end of a letter, but they had scrolls. That means they'd have to scroll down, open the scroll up, and then find the name at the bottom. So instead of letting, having them to do that, they would just put their name up at the top so we know exactly who's writing us, and we don't have to scroll down because we're just unrolling the scroll. And so Paul would typically say grace and peace. Now, he would use the Greek word grace, charis, <coughs> excuse me, which was a Greek greeting, Basically, have a great day that you don't really deserve, right? May, you may your day go better than you deserve. 
And then he would use the Hebrew word shalom, peace, which to bring peace. And, and so he would say grace and peace. Enjoy what you don't deserve and experience the peace of God. And this was the common greeting with Paul. Now, the interesting thing about that, he never put it in the other order. He never said peace and grace. Why? Because you can't experience the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. By grace you are saved, not of your works, not of yourselves, lest anyone boast. It's a gift from God. You're saved by faith. And when you accept that saving grace, that saving faith, then you have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Wherefore we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can't experience that peace with God because before you got saved, you were an enemy of God. And then when you accepted Jesus in your life, you are now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for a lot of Christians, you've got, you've got the grace of God. You've experienced that peace with God. But there's so many Christians that are going around and they don't have the peace of God. So what's the peace of God? The peace of God is to rest in Him when everything's going haywire. You know, many of us have Christian friends that when something happens to them, they, they just flip out. And we have other ones that don't. And, and I usually find the ones that are just flipping out and losing it, and God loves them, and, and you try to comfort them, but the bottom line is they don't have the peace of God. Because the peace of God will get you through anything because you know who you believe in. And you are persuaded that he's able to keep that which you committed until that day. He's taking you home. And so that peace of God is what we need to help us through the trials and the tribulations and just rest in him. You know, we talked a couple weeks about, ago about um, Paul saying that God had delivered him out of all tribulation, basically, right? And that God was delivering him not always out of, but through the trials. And he was saying this right before he was about to be beheaded, that God delivers me out of all my trials and God delivers me through my trials. So you and me, we like to be delivered out of, right? I mean, you get in a hot situation, you're like, Lord, get me out. I'm not interested in going through. I want out completely. That's the way we pray. That's the way I pray. Maybe you're not like me. But sometimes what Paul was saying, that God not only delivers us out of a situation, but he delivers us through the trial. Because that trial, going through it with him while he holds your hand, actually grows us far more than if he delivers us out of it, right? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were delivered through the fire. Now Paul saying that God has delivered me out of all my struggles, all my trials, uh, he's saying that right before he was beheaded because even though Nero took his life, that was the moment that Paul began real life, standing in the presence of God, finishing his race, running the race, finishing well, and being told he was a good and faithful servant. So, so what's the worst thing that man can do? Take your life and send you to glory? That's delivering you through the trial. And, and so we got to keep that in mind because a lot of Christians don't have the peace of God. And I say that because I want to encourage you because this world's going to get tough. And for some of you, it's already gotten really tough. 
But remember, God is with you. Whatever you're going through, He is with you. He loves you. Unconditional love. A love like you could never understand. He is never going to leave you nor forsake you. He's going to walk you through whatever you're going through, and He's going to see you through to the finish line. I don't know. I thought that was good for me. That should get you excited. So grace, mercy, and peace. Now notice He only says this to pastors. Why? Because I think pastors need a little mercy. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I'll tell you what, being a pastor is tough because there's people that aren't happy with you a lot of times, and so we need a little mercy. Amen. Thank God for those five people that just said amen. (laughs) So he starts out the letter, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect, and and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. So in this first verse, I mean, it's packed there. Paul calls himself King James' servant. In the Greek, though, it's the word doulos, which is used for a bondservant. Now, what's the difference between a servant and a bondservant? What's the difference between a slave and a bond slave? Well, it's simple. One has to do it because they don't have any choice, and the other one does it because they do have a choice. So slavery has been around through the beginning of time, and what God did was he made sure that people were to take care of their slaves properly. Now, we don't like talking about slaves today because there's a lot of racism in our country, and it shouldn't be because I see more ethnic groups than ever before with with prosperous business, success, fame in politics. So I don't understand all the racism that's going on. God is not racist. We all bleed red. And I don't know why we should ever be talking about people based on the color of their skin. It should be about their character, and that's it. And so, but in those days, there were slaves, and there were Gentiles that were sold, and there was basically human trafficking. It's no different than today. But God, speaking to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, had some rules. And the rules were that if you were a Jewish person and you had a Jewish slave, you could only keep them for six years, and then you have to set them free. And I know it sounds kind of bad talking about slaves, but really... What God did back in those days, it presented something for people who didn't have anything but had a lot of bills. So say you owed a lot of money, you couldn't pay it, you would go to prison, but some Jewish man would step in and pay your debt, bring you into his house, and say, oh, look, you owe a lot of money, Um, you're going to work it off for the next six years, and then at the end of six years, he would set you free. So it was actually better than going to prison, right? And so like if you owed me a bunch of money, I would take you into my house and, and, and I would let you work that off. And then after six years, I would set you free. Now, if after those six years, and I said, you're free to go, but you were like, you know what? I love it here. I mean, I have never had it so good. Maybe you had a couple of kids. You got married. You had a couple of kids. You're like, I don't want to leave them. My master is the greatest master of all times. I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to go anywhere. 
then you would become a doulos, a bondservant. They would take you and they would pierce your ear and put a ring in that said, by choice, I'm a bond slave. Now that's important for us to understand because Jesus is our master. And when Jesus tells us to do something, should we do it? Okay, I'm going to give you a shot at that. <laughs> when Jesus tells us to do something, should we do it? Okay, that's called being a bond slave. Whatever the master says, you do it. Now, you know, I know it, it sounds kind of weird if you're visiting today or this is your first time in church. The whole talk about, you know, bond slaves and slaves is kind of like, you know, it doesn't sound very encouraging. Hey, you can come up here after the service and be a bond slave too, you know. It doesn't sound really encouraging. But I want to say this. That from the beginning of our lives, as humans, we've always been slaves. We've been slaves to something. Before we came to Jesus Christ, we were a slave to sin. We were a slave to sex and immorality. We were a slave to alcohol and drugs. We were a slave to power and money and fame. But when we came to Jesus Christ, we were set free. And he's our master, but we have never had someone like him that has loved us so much. And his desires for us are good. And he's willing to give you the power to have a successful walk and a successful life and being used by him. And he says, I will give you the power you need to do what I'm calling you to do. There has never been a master like the Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus 3.3 it says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient. That sounds like me. Deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Isn't that beautiful? In verse 1, Paul says, I'm a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he, he wears that bondservant title as a badge of honor. And then he says, I'm not only a bondservant of God, I've been called to be an apostle, a sent one. What is his calling for? To preach and to teach, to equip the saints. Preaching is for unbelievers Preaching is the gospel so people would be saved. Once they're saved, they need teaching. That's why we always try to put a little preaching and teaching in every message because sometimes there's people here who don't know the Lord yet and they need to understand what the gospel is all about. But your main thing when you come here week in and week out is to be taught because the more you're taught the Word of God, the more you understand the Word of God, the more you're going to grow in the Word of God. And so Paul here describes himself as a bondservant and an apostle who was sent to according to the faith of God's elect and according to the acknowledgement of truth. And so he was sent to those to teach the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, to see him get saved. And now that you're a, a child of Christ, 
You are the elect. You are the chosen. You are what was called predestined. And I know a lot of people get a little confused with the whole predestination and the chosen and the elect. But it's really easy to answer that because some people say, well, does that mean God chooses some people to be saved and rejects others? No, that's not what it means. Remember what I said in the beginning? God can't force you to love him. God can't mess with your free will. Right? Remember when I said that? But the answer for understanding election, predestination, and chosen is very simple. God has foreknowledge. So if God knows everything, but he doesn't mess with your free will, do you know he knows the very day you got saved? He knew it before the foundations of the world. He knew what day it was, what hour, what minute, what second that you would give your life. And because that, he called you chosen, predestined, elected, and he's got something for you to do. And that's the good news. Paul was called to preach that the people might come to faith, but then to teach them the truths of God, the word of God for a successful walk. Walk. Colossians 3.12 says this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Does that describe you? Let me read that again. Let's all just examine our hearts right now. God's elect, are holy and beloved, we should put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. So the purpose is that through the teaching of the Word of God and doing the Word of God, that leads us to godliness. And that's what He wants from us. He wants godliness. But that only comes from hearing the Word, and doing the Word. We need to do the Word, not just hear it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that, I've heard that, I've heard that. Oh, yeah, but do it. Success is doing what God is telling you. It's important for us. 1 Peter 1 says this, we need to obey God's Word. Let me, let me read something to you real quick. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God is putting at our access the things that we need to be godly. We need to take hold of those things. He says, Through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you might be partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. <clears throat> he says, verse 5, But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love, for if these things are yours and abound in you, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in all the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to the blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from all his sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never 
stumble. For so at an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into, everla- into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we need to obey God's word to be successful. Now, what does that mean? Can I compromise? Do you want him to compromise with you? I mean, God forbid that, you know, like 30 years through my walk, God would just look at me and go, you know what, Steve? I used to really like you. You were cute, but now, eh, go to hell. <laughs> Thank God his promises are yes and amen, and they're, they're for real. And he just, he's not going to change his mind, but you know what? We need to change our mind, amen? <clears throat> Sometimes we can, we, we, listen, I know this isn't you, but i got to say this for the sake of the listening audience on the radio or whatever. Some Christians continue in their sin and think if they throw some money in the offering bag or, or come help clean up the church, that, that, that balances everything out. That's sad. You don't really know the God you say you love. God wants us to be holy because he's holy. He wants us to be pure because he's pure. God wants godliness from all of us. Yeah, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm not happy in my sin. If you're comfortable in your sin, you're probably not his. Because he says in those last days, there's going to be a lot of people, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to say, I went to Calvary Chapel. I went on a missions trip. I I gave money. Now, I don't know you. Depart from me. Because we should not be happy in our sins. We have been transformed by the power of God to live for Him. Yes, we're, we're growing daily. Yes, it's, it's a daily process. But there should be movement going forward for Jesus and not backwards for the world. We need to obey the Word of God. I was thinking this week on um, Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15 when God te- tells uh, King Saul to go wipe out the Amalekites. Remember that? Now, that was heavy because he says, yeah, go wipe out every man, every woman, every child, every infant, the cows, the sheep, the donkeys, everything. And you say, wow, that's crazy. God would say that? Yeah, you got to understand there was a blood problem. There was a sin problem. This was a group of people so wicked and so steeped in satanic worship that, that God said, listen, he knew with his foreknowledge, none of them would ever come to him. And he's like, we need to take these guys out now. And even their animals, because their animals were used for all kinds of craziness. And so he says, Saul, wipe them all out. So Saul goes with all these men, gets the victory, but he brings back the king. And he brings back sheep and the cows to offer sacrifice to the Lord. God tells Samuel, Samuel goes to Saul and says, what have you done? And Saul says, just like, I did everything God told me to do. I obeyed. And he goes, Samuel goes, well, why am I hearing the sheep bleeding in the background and the cows lowing? And what's up with this king here? And he goes, oh, well, you know, I thought I'd bring him back as sort of a trophy. And, you know, we'd bring the best of the animals to sacrifice unto God. And and at that moment, King Saul's kingdom was stripped away from him by God. And God spoke through Samuel. And Samuel said, Saul, God desires obedience more than sacrifice. 
You were told to go do a job. You didn't do it. Now you're bringing back the things that you didn't do to offer up as a sacrifice. God desires obedience more than sacrifice. Don't try to pay off God with your service in the church or your giving in the church and continue on in your sin. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to obey. It's so important for us. When God speaks to us, I know sometimes it's hard. Because you'll say, Lord, use me, use me. And then he'll send you to that guy you hate. Give him the gospel. He's going to punch me. You can take it. Right? And he gives us stuff that we don't necessarily, or, or stuff that seems so bizarre. It's like, there's not no way possible I could do this. And that's when he says, great, now you won't get in the way. I will give you the power to do it. God wants to use you. In verse 2, he says this. He says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God, all-knowing, gives us this promise that He will be our God and we could be His people. That He's gone to prepare a place for us and He's going to come get us one day. And so because of that, we need to be like Paul preaching the gospel and and equipping our families and our friends in the Word of God. That's why we are to know the Word so we can preach it and teach it and share it with the lost, that they would get saved and then instruct them in the Word and in godliness so they will have the blessed hope that we have. He talks about this hope. Titus 3.13 says, that we are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us. We rest in that hope. Aren't you resting in the fact that you're a child of God? Aren't you so glad that whatever happens to you, you're going to heaven? Aren't you glad that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and God is going to get you to the finish line? I'll tell you what, that's a hope. That's a blessed hope. A lot, of, a lot of folks don't have that hope. i got to tell you this little story. I remember, always remember this little story that Chuck Smith said. He talked about these scientists that did a little study in Norway, and they took a bunch of Norwegian rats, the wharf rats, you know, the ones that swim in the ocean, and, and they would, you know, are in the sea or whatever it is, the lakes, and, the, you know, they're all around the piers and the docks and around the harbors and stuff, but they're pretty fat rats. They're like the size of cats. They're kind of big. And, and so they did this experiment, and they put all these rats into a, a tub of water that they couldn't get out of. And they were all frantically trying to swim, and they all died in 17 minutes. They drowned. They gave up. So then they did another study. They took rats again, did the same experiment, but right around 17 minutes, they rescued all the rats, revived them, and gave them food. And then after a couple of days, they let them get strong again. Then they put them all back into the water to see how long they could go. They went for 37 hours before they drowned. One of the scientists said because they had learned hope that after 16 minutes when they were about to drown, they were rescued and they learned. You know, I'm always amazed when they want to understand how humans work, why they use rats. But anyway, these rats learned that if we keep going, someone's going to come get us. And so the second time, they lasted 37 hours. One scientist said it was like a salvation moment. 
See, guys, we, we feel like sometimes we just feel like rats on the treadmill here. Sometimes we feel like we're just, you know, treading water and we're going under and popping up and going under. But you know what? There's someone coming for you. And his name's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our hope, our blessed hope. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. So we can rest in that because he's coming for us. We have eternal life. And that resting hope gives us peace that passes all understanding. Because no matter what, I'm his and you're his. Do you have that resting hope today? Even in your trials? Because the trials are really we're going to find out if you have that resting hope or not. In Psalm 42, when King David was living at a time where his son Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom and David had to flee for his life with his men. And Psalm 42 was written at a time where David's son was trying to kill him and David's going through the pain and the agony and the suffering that he was feeling because he loved his son and all this emotion, and it just seemed like the whole world was falling apart, and everything was coming down on him. But in that psalm, Psalm 42, he puts his hope in God. Even in the midst of the heaviest situation of his life. And if you're here today and you're not sure if you're saved, you're not resting in him. You have no assurance. But 1 John 5.11 tells us this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That's what we call assurance. Do you have that today? Are you trusting in the true and living God? Now, earlier in the message, I said God can't lie. And we just read that. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. God has committed something to each one of you. And we need to live for him because it's our reasonable service for all he's done for us. And we can stand on the promises of God because God cannot lie. Not physically, not spiritually. God is not capable of lying. And with that said, I close with this. I want to close with reading you a bunch of truths. And keep in mind, God can't lie. Are you ready? All right. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Philippians 1, 6, Be confident of this very thing, that he that begun the good work in you will complete it. 
until that day that he comes. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Revelation 21 says there'll be a day where we're with him and there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, and all things will become new. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet, the dead in Christ shall rise first, we that are alive and main, remain will be caught up into the clouds with him, so shall we ever be, comfort one another with those words. 1 Corinthians 15 says this corruptible body will put on incorruption, standing in the presence of the true living God. God is faithful, God wrote the book, this is the bestseller in the history of all mankind, he wrote the book, he's the author and the finisher of our faith, he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. He heals the cripple. He raises the dead. He gives sight to the blind. He causes the deaf to hear. He mends the broken hearts. He walks on water. He changes water to wine. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Get up out of your seats. Stand up and put your hands together and shout for the King of Kings. Amen. That's our King. That's our Lord. That's our Savior. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We praise You. We give You glory. There's not even words to describe You. You are so amazing, Lord God, and to think that You would love us blows my mind. To think that You would care to save someone like me and to put us into ministry. Wow. And so, Lord, we need your help right now. It's a, it's a crazy world. But we know you're large and in charge, and we know that you're going to give us the power to finish and to finish well. Lord, we love you. We desire more of you. We right now, Lord, we just raise our hands towards you and say, fill us with the Holy Spirit right now, Lord God. Fill us afresh. Fill us afresh. Give us strength for today. Give us divine appointments, Lord Jesus. And Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, if that's you, just say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe you rose on the third day. I want to be yours. Save me. If you just prayed that, you're his. But Lord, I pray right now that you give us all the strength that we need to be a light in a dark world and to be used by you, ambassadors for Christ. And so, Lord, we give you praise and glory because you are so worth it. Lord, help us, strengthen us in our serving and our commitment to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Go ahead.